0: Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Scripture that are vitally important to understanding this chapter and the charge that's been given to Timothy from Paul, through the Holy Spirit. First Timothy chapter one, verse number 14, the Bible says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that uh, uh, that concerning God's grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Right now, as a saved child of God, you can tap into that grace now. It's not was sufficient or when the apostles walked the earth. or It's not just for Paul and Timothy. It's for us. It is sufficient for everything in our life. In in, in Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And that grace of God is what we are trying to point everyone that we can to. God saves by His grace. It's it's for all men. It's sufficient for all men. And we are commissioned, duty-bound to make that grace known. It's got to appear. And how will they hear without a preacher? Ephesians chapter 2. Let's let's head there. Ephesians chapter number 2. You all know this verse. We'll get there and look at it together. The Bible says in verse number 8 for by grace are ye saved. I don't care who you're talking to. I don't care how well dressed they are. I don't care how well mannered they are. I don't care how well behaved their children are if they do not lay claim To the saving grace offered to them that has appeared to all men for the salvation of their soul. They are as lost as they can be. They are as lost as the devil worshiping crowd. They're as lost as the LBGT crowd. Because they are not laying claim to the grace of Christ and his saving grace. It's only by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A.W. Tozer said this, Abounding sin is the terror of the world, but abounding grace is the hope of mankind. Now that's something to preach, and he certainly did. Years ago, a young boy wanted to join a church, and the deacons and elders were examining him, and they asked, how did you get saved? His answer was, God did his part, I did my part. They were concerned with his doctrine, and so they questioned a little bit further, and they asked, well, what was God's part, and what was your part? The young boy's explanation was a good one. He said, God's part was the saving, my part was the sinning. Now that's good. I ran from God as fast as my sinful heart and rebellious legs could take me. He sought after me till he run me down. That's how I got saved. That's what he told those deacons and elders. Sin abounds. But grace much more abounds. It's exceeding abundant. Go to Titus chapter number three. Titus chapter number three, Uh, when we are looking at verse 14 in 1 Timothy, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, it says, and in Titus chapter number three, in verse number four, the Bible says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You know what appears in front of a lot of people's eyes? That works of righteousness. I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. I've never killed anybody. You know, you know the lines. I'm good. I go to church. You know, you know, you know the lines. You've been saved long enough. You know what they say. You know it needs to appear? The kindness and love of God, our Savior. And it goes on to say, But according to his mercy, he saved us for the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, abundantly, it says, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse number seven. That being justified by what? Grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's it. We need some appearing of grace to be presented toward all mankind. Go to First Peter chapter number 1. Let's look at that verse, First Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse number 3, Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which according to his, here it is, abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. There's not a period yet who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what is so exceeding abundant about the grace of God? It gives you a reservation in heaven and it gives you access to God's everlasting kingdom. Praise God. Christians say, well, preacher, you just don't know what I'm going through. You just don't know the suffering I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But I can talk to you about your reservation in heaven. I can talk to you about the everlasting glory you're going to have with your Savior forever. I know the trials down here are tough. But the grace of God will see you through. You've got something that's abundant. An everlasting kingdom with our Lord. Go to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. Comes a real powerful attribute of God. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17. The Bible says wherein God willing more abundantly. Here it is again the word. Abundantly to show under the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel. Man, that's a powerful attribute of God. You know what that attribute of God does? It renders change and alteration of who God is. It renders change of that absolutely impossible. That's a beautiful phrase. The immutability of his counsel. It's his unchangeableness. What do you mean he's not going to change? He says, for I am the Lord, I change not. You know what God's not going to ever do? Lie to you. He's never going to break one of his promises to you. He'll never break a contract, a covenant, a promise. Never lie, ever. You know what you're going to have down here? People are going to break promises. The handshake isn't going to mean what it was supposed to mean. Not God. The immutability of his counsel. Praise the Lord. It's a refuge to shelter and protect us. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of my soul and your soul. Jesus Christ is our mighty captain. Hey, Romans 15 calls him the God of consolation. Second Corinthians goes on to say, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. Go back to First Timothy, because we are looking at, we are looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I want to stay in Hebrews 6, because I want, to, I want to read the rest of this verse. I got stuck on the immutability of his counsel, that's such a beautiful phrase. It says, confirmed by an oath, That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We talked about that. We might have a strong consolation. We talked about that. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We've got some exceeding abundance in in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of it is the immutability of his counsel. He's our sure and steadfast anchor. He's our comfort, our full consolation. All right, let's go back to First Timothy now. Let me ask you this. Can you give, can you give abundance to an abundant God? You know what the Bible talks about for us as His saints? The abundance that we can give to our God. It's our rejoicing in Him. We have a God of all grace. He's abundant of grace. It's a, the, the appearing of it has appeared to all men. We should make that appearance known to all men. You know how we can give thanks to it? The Bible says in Philippians that your rejoicing may be more abundant. In Jesus Christ. That's good that's good. When we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and we're in verse number 14 and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant and it says with faith. Now what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know what faith? It's not seen. It's found but it is not seen. Where is it found? Only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to live a life honorable to the Lord, you know the verse. How do we walk? By faith. How do we live? By faith. Three times in the New Testament, God tells us, the just shall live by faith. Romans 17, for therein is the righteous God revealed from heaven. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's Romans 1. Galatians 3, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident evident, for the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, Galatians 3, and then Hebrews 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. Three times God God's word says in the New Testament, believers, how are you going to be just? Well, you're unjust. You can only be made. You can only be justified by the just one. Has that happened to you? The just shall live by faith. You've been justified. Declared just by God. Live it. Live it. The other thing I want to draw your attention to in verse number 15. First Timothy 1.15. As we get to. As we get to this next verse here, it says, this is a faithful saying. There's four faithful sayings that you need to know about. They all appear in the New Testament. Four faithful sayings. And they all appear in the pastoral epistles. I find that to be rather interesting. The the, the first one we'll look at is, is right here. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know what that means? Worthy of all acceptation? It should be well known. It should be widely accepted. It should be in every household. It's called Christianity 101. It should carry some authority. And you know why it's so worthy? Because it's so simple. You know why it's so easily to accept Because anyone can believe it. You don't need eight years of theological training. You know what you need? A young boy, a young girl, a senior saint to just meet somebody and say, I've got something worthy to talk about my Savior. Can I tell you what he did for me? You don't need four years of Bible school to know that. You can you can take this worthy saying, make it known. So the first the first faithful saying envelops the purpose of Christ's first coming. It was to save sinners. Faithful saying that was the purpose of his coming to make way for sinners to be saved. First Timothy chapter four. Let's look at the second one. The second faithful saying that shows up in 1 Timothy 4. In verse number 8, the Bible says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promised life that now is, and of that which is to come, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. A life for Christ. Is a way to become godly. But you know what you got to do? You got to exercise yourself in it. You know, people are happier physically down here on earth when they exercise. Uh, And endorphins are released after exercise. That's a fact. It's the brain's feel-good neurotransmitter. People feel good. After they exercise, physically, their bodies, that's been proven. You want to labor for Christ? You're going to have to get in shape for the labor. Not physically, spiritually. You know why people aren't in shape to play ball? Because they're not practicing. They're not showing up for spring training. You know why someone's not doing well at the tournament? Because they're not practicing. They're not doing the exercise that that their coaches taught them. So when they end up getting to the tournament, they don't do well. Why? They're not exercising. You know what we need some more Christians that are going to do? To get ready for the laboring? They're going to have to exercise themselves in godliness how do I do that? Well, you can start with praying. You can start with fasting. You can start with your daily Bible reading. You can start with studying what you've read. You can start by coming to church every time the doors are open, unless you have a medical emergency, your, uh, your boss requires you to work, or you have a priority in your life that, You need to take, that needs to take precedence. But if you're able-bodied, don't give me an excuse that, well, I have, no, you you have to exercise the worldly things, the carnal things. You can get your car fixed at Midas on another day rather than Thursday. Well, I got family devotions. You can do them after church or before church. Well, I got baseball practice. Well, why don't you give the ball bat and the ball glove back to the devil and get to the church house? You can get to the ball field. You think I'm kidding? Go down to the west side of town tonight. Go ahead and get yourself a coffee and donut Ralphs, little little plug for Ralphs. And look across the street. I'll have Thirsty Thursdays going on. You'll hear the music coming out of the front doors. You'll hear people cheering, stomping their feet. Oh, it'll be a big old time. We need some Christians that are going to get ready to labor by exercising themselves in godliness. We parked there a little longer than I wanted to, but we got some good preaching on that one. Faithful saying one, faithful saying two. The third faithful saying is found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 11. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. We believe not that he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know what? You have a third of the faithful sayings. It has to do with the resurrection. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. So you have a faithful saying, number one, a way to make sinners save, the purpose of Christ's first coming. You have a faithful saying that talks about exercising yourself in godliness, a way to live for Christ. You have a third faithful saying that shows up in 2 Timothy 2 that has to do with the resurrection of Christ and us in him. And then in Titus chapter number three, the fourth one, verse number eight. This is a faithful saying that these things, I will, that thou affirm constantly, Titus 3, eight. that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Those things are good and profitable unto men. Talking about how you live your life. Now, if you back up and look at verse number six, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You have got all of that living tied in with a glimpse or a look at eternity. So that fourth faithful saying, you're living this life down here right now. Be careful to maintain good works. But you've got eternal justification. You have an eternal airship you're going to lay claim to it's 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 eternal life it's eternal life you've got a temporal life down here god's saved us under good works but we have an eternal life where we have an an, an eternal inheritance that all falls under that umbrella so those are our four faithful sayings go to first timothy one let's go back there first timothy chapter number one verse 15. I don't know. To me, when I look at what it says at the end of that verse, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, under Holy Spirit's inspiration of whom I am chief, you've got someone laying claim to the chief of sinners that really is the chief of examples. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, besides God manifesting the body of flesh, if there's a Christian I'd like to be like, it'd be Paul. How about you? He laid claim I am the chief of sinners. It's a religious man, proud to be a Jew, good stock. Zealous, he glorified his genealogy. And he went forth as the Goliath to stamp out Christianity. That was Saul. On that road to Damascus. He was going to arrest Christians. But God had a better idea. Because he got arrested by the grace of God. Amen. How about you? How about you? Timothy, on the other hand, his father was a Greek. He had uh, a, a, a Jewish believer, a Jewish believing mother and grandmother who taught him the scriptures when he was a young boy. Praise the Lord. Grandmoms, grandpas, Moms, teach your children the scriptures. If you're given the liberty by mom and dad, grandmas and grandpas, teach your grandchildren the scriptures. That does not save them. You know how I know that? Because Timothy was converted under Paul's ministry. He learned the scriptures. He had a good heritage. We need more of that in America. He had a good heritage, but that heritage didn't save him. You know why Timothy says, my own son, Paul says about Timothy, my own son in the faith. It's just referring to, it's a reference to, he was converted under Paul's ministry. Now that's pretty good, because when you connect the two of them, Both of them share one thing in common. They were very well-educated religious men. They knew some stuff. And you know what that tells me and tells you? You can live a model life, a religious life, and be as lost as you can be. Living a model life doesn't save you. I'd love them as a neighbor. Because I know they won't steal my livestock. They won't break into my house. But don't mistake in that for where their soul's headed. They might need a knock on the door. They might need some fresh eggs. You can open up a conversation. Or maybe they need a stick of butter or sugar. I know nobody does that anymore. There used to be a day... You got to know your neighbor. I'm just telling you, there isn't anything wrong with getting to know who your neighbor is just because you're just trying to be neighborly. Even if you don't witness to them that first time. You've got no other motive other than, hi, good to have you in the neighborhood. Welcome to the neighborhood. Glad to have you. Do you need any? Well, if you do, you ever need something, just call on us. That's a Christian thing to do. They don't have to come to the church, but can you avail yourself? Can I avail myself to care for Okay, so that's what we have in uh, a likeness of. Paul and Timothy, both of them had some religious training, but they both had to come to Jesus Christ as sinners and personally receive Christ. That's what he does. He gives life to dead men that are living their life for dead religion. After their conversion, man, I'll tell you, Paul and Timothy, they're an example to follow. Also, I want you to notice this. This is doctrinally important. I know we talked about some practical things in Christian living, but it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. I must say to you on the authority of the scripture, this was not the start of his existence. He did not come into the world as if now his existence started. No, he was pre existence He in his eternality showed up in this world wrapped in a body of flesh and the humanity of Jesus Christ showed up in this world but that was not the start of who he was and that was not the start of his existence. I'm telling you on the authority of the word of God Jesus Christ is 100% God. Anybody that tries to tell you otherwise by going to this work by going to this word, is either confused and wrong or is deliberately trying to, to deceive you and is a liar. Why did he come? Well, it's so simple, clear, and brief that nobody would miss it. That's the charge. Make it simple. Make it brief so that nobody would miss it. You don't need, you don't need much Bible to get this post, to save sinners, Some of you will enjoy this. I'll read it how some of the uh, post-tribbers read it, or some of the uh, replacement theologians read it. I'll read it to you how they read it. But it doesn't read the way they read it. They just read into it. Okay, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came in the world to set up a kingdom. (laughs) No, he is going to come back and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom, but that is not why he came on his first coming. He is not setting up a kingdom when he came the first time. He came to set up a way for sinners to be saved. And you know what they wanted from him? Kingdom this Lord, kingdom that Lord, kingdom this Lord, kingdom that Lord. How about, no, I'm going to Calvary. You mix up his first coming with the second coming or you merge them together or you want to take promises from Israel and put them with the church. You're going to be so convoluted. You're going to have a carnival of truths all mixed in like a big swirl of cotton candy. It's all truth mixed together and it gets people, it gives them a sweet tooth and the teeth rot. You got to get it right. His first coming is very clear and it wasn't to show a better way of ethical living. You can acknowledge Jesus as a great teacher. He was a great rabbi, a good, the good master, all that. You can't. But if it is at the expense of acknowledging of who he was and why he came, we've missed it. I shall bring forth a son. I shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. That's why he came the first time. Matthew 1 tells us about it when his birth. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss the context of that chapter. Save. From sin, and not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul really illustrates this in a real way by personal experience, because he says, Of whom I am chief. If you draw your eyes back to verse number nine, we already preached on it, so I'm just going to touch on this. When you look at it, when it says who he who who the law was made for, it says in the middle of the verse, for the ungodly and for sinners. That law came to condemn. Jesus Christ came to save. From the curse of the law. The law entered, sin abounded. Look, that law condemns. Christ saves. So you get that. um, But the the big thing I want you to get out of verse 15, where it says, I am chief, is Paul. He's honestly, he recognizes, and it's penned in Holy Scripture, he recognizes his personal sin. That's where we need to get people to recognize, personal Imagine you're a patient. You're ready to undergo a critical operation. The anesthesiologist puts you to sleep. And you wake up and you find out that the operation was successful, matter of fact, when you went in there, they said, hey, it's no problem. This is routine. We do this all the time. We can do this with our eyes closed. You wake up and you're fine. You say, thank God it was successful. I'm alive. Praise the Lord. But what if you knew what the surgeon knew? The surgeon knew. Just a little hair to the other side. With that scaffold would have resulted in your death. How much more grateful would you have been to that surgeon? That's something to think about. Paul knew who the great physician was. He got a hold of, I am chief of sinners. A little hairline this way, I could have ended up in hell. Draw that out with sinners that you witnessed so that they would realize just how close to sin, death, and hell that they, that they were. You don't know when you don't know when your time can come. Paul knew who the great physician was and he had a humbling view of himself. It's a reflection of his personal humility. I am chief. In closing, I'd like to say this. We know Paul believed and was converted. We know Timothy believed and was converted. I trust that you have believed and converted. But how about that lost and dying world? You know what the charge is? Make it simple. Make it brief. It's worthy of all acceptation. Any household should be able to understand. This is a faithful saying. Someone's soul can totally rely on it for eternity. And worthy of all acceptation. You just say to that lost sinner, will you accept it? That Christ Jesus, except what? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sin. You're not saved by the life of Christ. You won't ever live a model life like him. You are saved because he went to the cross, died, bled out, was buried. Three days, three days later, he rose again. He seated at the right hand of the Father. You're saved by the death of what he did on the cross in his resurrection. Then Paul says, of whom I am chief? Allow the chief sinner to be. You and I's chief example. We can't hold on. and We can't ask lost people. Don't allow them to get away with holding on to dead morals and dead religion. They'll ignore the Savior's outstretched hand. And they'll never receive the grace that is so abundant. It's appeared to all men. Show it to a lost person.